One other just really important thing, next week we have Dr. Yuan here, uh, special treat him and his parents actually going to be sharing with us right here in the morning at both of our services, 9 and 1045. He's a professor at uh, um, uh, Moody uh, Bible School or uh, School of Divinity, and he's going to be talking about the gospel and sexual identity. Yeah, he wrote a book, um, Out of a Far Country, I always get that wrong, he wrote a book called Out of a Far Country with his mom, um, and it was just, the, they call it the journey of the prodigal son. Uh, who had, who had gotten lost in uh, homosexuality, drug dealing, all sorts of craziness, and, uh, and, and God especially. He, he did not want to have anything to do with God and as, as, as God brought their family back together. It's just going to be an incredible opportunity in the morning. Then he comes back and just talks about what, what as Christians should be our, our, our response, a gospel-oriented, compassionate response towards all things of, of sexuality that are happening in our culture now. It's just um, kind of crazy, and um, and so where where should we fall, and 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 how should we respond? And so that's going to be in the evening at five o'clock at our new Oxford campus location. So I hope that you can join us for that. <clears throat> so we're in our last week, week eight in our series called "Not Yours," looking at various things that we oftentimes hold on to, we become possessive about as just human beings, especially as Americans. Um, that sometimes we hold on too tightly, that we're not very good at doing. In fact, Jesus would say every time. But more than that, if you're someone who's following Jesus or, or wanting to follow Jesus, these are, these are the very things that God says you have to give up to him. And we've looked at a whole bunch of them. Today we're going to end with the final one. And w- what it is is your work, all right, your work. And when I say work today, I'm encompassing kind of all that we do, our career, uh, jobs, duties, our roles. Um, I think that's that's important. Um, don't want to delve into it, but it's Mother's Day, right? And, and um, you know, sometimes you, you, you hear things on both spectrums, um, let's say, with, with, you know, how we should empower women. And there's a whole movement, right? We call feminism of helping, helping break things free for women and giving them equality, which they absolutely needed and, 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 and should have happened. But at the same time, sometimes when the pendulum swings, sometimes they go too far. And I know there's been a lot of women that have tried to rescue the fact that, you know what, just what you do and if you make money at it doesn't mean it's more valuable or has more purpose than if you're just someone who's at home raising kids, right? I mean, we want to value both. We don't want to have there be, to be something that prevents women or anybody else from being all that God wants them to be. But we also need to know that our culture has heavy influence on this. In fact, check look at this statistic I found online. It's just a graphic. It looks overwhelming. It's simple and you can't read it, I know, but here's the deal. At the very top, right, this is a, a graph measuring from the largest coming all the way down, and America actually sits at the very bottom as a zero, and this is the amount of countries around the world that receive paid time leave when you have children, maternity and paternity. And th- I just want to set this up as we talk about this today because I think this is interesting. If you live in Estonia, Get this, 86 weeks you get off paid maternity or paternity leave. It's too much to try to break down in one graphic. How many of you are ready to move with me to Estonia? I mean, I, I'm just telling you, my kids now, it, yes, after two years, I might have been ready to enter into normal world again. But can you imagine? They get, but but you, some, some of you may think, and this is not a shot at Estonia, but you're like, you know, I don't know Estonia. What kind of people are they? Do they have good work ethic? You, you think most people think the Japanese have an incredibly high work ethic. They're number four on the list. 65 weeks. On average, a paid leave in the nation of Japan. You have other countries, Germany and Italy, China, Korea, countries that you know are, are, are you know, producing, they have strong economies, and yet 
they, they, they provide this. I'm not making a political statement today. That's not my point. But my point is this. America is at zero. Zero. Whether you think the government should pay for that or not is not my point. My point is this. It speaks to a cultural value in America. One that likes to elevate work above everything else. I mean, to the, to the degree that, you know, if someone said you get 86 weeks off, that sounds awesome, but some of us would have to go into counseling um, for having kids because we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves for two years without working, without doing something, right? It speaks to the value that's in our culture. In fact, some would say, and I would agree, an idol in our culture that we find our value, our meaning, our purpose, and what we do, and in how much we work, and how much money we make, and we need to be so careful of that, so careful of that, because that, is, that leaks to be within each of us. So in honoring moms today and all that they do, because my wife wasn't home today and I'm reminded again of what it takes to be a mom and to get kids out of the house, makes me uh, think, you know, I'm, I'm sure your mom is not like this, but some moms are known to be meddlers. You ever met a meddling mom, right? They just want what's best for their kids or always getting involved. And there is a mom in the, in the Bible in Matthew 20 who came to Jesus about her sons, James and John, and she asked Jesus, in your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and one at your left? Just like a good mom. Hey, Jesus, when it's all said and done, my kids are the best. Can you put them right next to you, right? And it says the disciples heard what they said and became upset. And Jesus said to them, you know, the rulers in this world lorded lorded over people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. He doesn't even get mad at her because she wants what's best for her kids. He explains her misunderstanding. He says, in this world, people act a certain way with authority and with power. But in my kingdom, if your two sons want to sit in places of highest honor, that's at the place of being a servant because he says, in fact, that's how I came. But among you it shall be different, and there is no difference in our work today, that among us, because if we know Jesus and we're following him, and and again, if you're someone who's not ready to do that yet, that's okay. He offers this kind of vision, a different way of living your life. But for those of us who decide to follow Jesus, it is to be different among us than how it normally works. And there's a few ways of doing that. You could simply say it this way today, if Jesus is your boss... Here's three simple things that we get from Colossians. Number one is that there's a new standard for how I work. All right, Colossians 3.23, very simple verse. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. We have a new standard for our work. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. This phrase, work at it with all your heart, means enthusiastically, and it comes from the root Greek word of, of psyche, where we get kind of psychology, psyche, but it's our soul. Um, and so what it, what it basically is saying, listen to this, and this is a challenge, boom, right out, right out the door, is that, you know what, whatever we do, we're supposed to do it with enthusiasm, in other words, with a joy that comes from within. Now, now let me define one other good Greek word for you. It's a really tough one. It's the word whatever. <laughs> Because that's important, right? I mean, what do I have to have joy in? Well, only in the whatever you do. So let me, let me define the whatever for you. It means this, each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything. I don't think Paul left anything out. He is basically saying in everything, each, every, all, any, whole, everything, all things, everything you do, do it with enthusiasm. How can that be possible? 
Right? There's some things we love to do, and those are the, the greatest things in life. We get to do things that we love, that bring us joy. But, I mean, let's be honest. How, how many of those things are there? 80% uh, that we don't? 20% that we get to do full of joy? 10%? Right? Because there's mowing the lawn and washing the cars and doing the laundry and vacuuming the house and paying the bills and uh, all sorts of things. Disciplining your kids, working through conflict at work. I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's no way that I'm supposed to have joy in all those things. Well, the Bible is not ignorant. It's not saying that you're going to find joy in those things. But when your perspective changes, when your standard changes, you're not doing it for your boss or for your kids or for it to be done or for it to get clean. It, the Bible says whatever you do, do it as unto God. What, what it's basically saying is you're taking just the mundane, the kind of the everyday normal things of life, and by doing it under God, you're making it sacred. You're making it blessed and because of that because you know what God you know I don't want to be doing this right now I don't want to be doing this work I don't want to be cleaning this up and so a lot of us you know when we're doing those tasks we get grumpy we get attitudes we wish somebody else was doing it why didn't they do that why am I the only one ever doing this we have no joy we have the opposite of joy it's sucking all of our joy away and the Bible says there's a really quick way to change the perspective Stop doing it for yourself or for them or thinking someone else should be doing it. It's not beneath you. It's not, quote, somebody else's job. It is now your job and do it unto God. And you know what? Our whole lives could start changing. Not that we would find joy in doing something like that, but that we have joy while we do it because we know we're doing it to serve Jesus, not doing it for somebody else. I, I, think, I think it's a real releasing thing. I think God wants to bring freedom in our lives. That, that whatever we're doing, that we can find some enthusiasm because we're thinking about God and thinking about how we can simply do it for Him. It's not going to change God's life to do laundry, but if I change my attitude while I'm doing laundry and I have joy just in Him and enthusiasm, you know the chances of God speaking to me about my family or my kids or about somebody else or working through issues in my life is probably a lot greater than if I'm doing it and I'm just frustrated and mad at somebody or wishing somebody else had done it. Or when you're going through a time of conflict or if you're, you're a boss or you're someone who has you know, oversight or authority and you're having to correct someone or do something, to do that as unto the Lord would bring to bring value and, 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 and the dignity of a human being into that situation instead of just seeing them as your problem or as someone who needs to go away. Now you're doing it as unto God and you're not just stepping over someone or kicking them to the curb or viewing them less than how Jesus would. It changes everything. You're not going to have joy to have that conflict, but you can do it with enthusiasm just saying, God, I'm offering this to you. I'm offering this to you, whatever I do. You know, the context of this actually makes it harder. I didn't read it to you on purpose first, but the context is actually in slavery. Verse 22, which leads into 23. Slaves, obey your masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work out with all your heart. Slavery was a little different in the Roman Greek times. I mean, it still had a lot of racism qualities to it, but it was more of like a nationalistic prejudice than it was anything else. If you were a country and you conquered, if America decided we wanted the land of Canada and we conquered them, they would become our slaves. Not just because we, we, we hate Canadians, but more that we're just superior to you. Our country beat you. Therefore, you are our slaves. Therefore, in the nation of, of Rome and a lot of those countries in those days, there was all kinds of slaves all kinds of backgrounds, and certainly there was racism then just like there is now, but it was, it was just more, it was broader than that. It was just basically the, the conquering nation and those who had money and had influence, they're the ones who had power and everybody else kind of worked for them. 
And why that's important to think about in our lives is the context that Paul is saying is, hey, slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as serving the Lord, not men. What a challenge to someone whose whole life was simply to serve someone else, to bring profit to them, to bring benefit to them, and never gain anything. Slaves didn't work for money. They didn't, they didn't, I mean, maybe they were allowed to live there and they would enjoy the, the, the household that they would live under. That's okay. But they didn't do anything for their own benefit, their own name, their own future. Everything they did was for that master. And Paul is challenged, what a challenge to say, you know what, whatever you're doing, work at it hard. Because sometimes when you're working at it for somebody else or for some other situation, you have a tendency, well, you know, it's not that, I'm not going to benefit. I'm not going to gain anything. But Paul is flipping the paradigm up on its end and saying, not so among you, it should be different. You're not serving that person. You're not serving the situation. You're serving Jesus, and he should change all that. In fact, what Paul is really saying here, what does he say? Don't do it when their eye is on you to curry favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Paul is basically saying is that quality control in our lives begins with our heart for God. Quality control begins there. I mean, even if no one else is looking, he says, don't, be, don't give eye service. That's what he's basically saying to slaves. Don't just do it when someone's watching you so that they like you better or they give you a, a promotion or a benefit. You pick up the trash when no one's looking. You clean up that area even though it's not your responsibility. A gentleman in one of my life groups this week was getting ready to leave after working the night shift all night and an extra two hours. He, he was long overdue and ready to go home and someone had an issue that needed to be taken care of. And he just said, you know, I just couldn't do it. I knew it wasn't the Christian thing to do. And he said that in a positive way. He basically was saying, nobody would have known or cared had I left because I didn't even need to be there. But because I'm not just serving the company I work for, I'm serving Jesus, I knew it was the right thing for me to do because I live by a different quality control. It comes from my heart. The quality control comes from there. I'm not even living up to my boss's standards, but listen, here's the tough one, I think. I'm not even supposed to live up to my own standards. Yeah, well, that's good enough but is it good enough for Jesus? Is that what he asks you to do? Or are you just happy with, with how it went? Quality control begins in the heart. There's a, there's a man who rose to high, high prominence in the nation of, of Babylon in the Old Testament. His name was Daniel. And these, these, uh, these other men who also had political power hated Daniel, hated the influence he had, hated the power he had, and they came after him and they wanted to destroy him. And it's really interesting how they wanted to destroy him. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 6. It said that Daniel had exceptional qualities and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So everybody was jealous, verse 4. And at this, the administrators and the satraps trying to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, they said, well, we must find a basis to charge against him in the law of his God. Here, here's the point. They were coming after his work ethic. So interesting. They wanted to come after his work ethic. You know, people want to discredit you and discredit, even more importantly, the person you represent, Jesus, if you're someone who follows him, by your work ethic. They will literally want to, want to tear your faith down because you don't show up at work on time, because you're lazy, because you're sloppy, because you're dishonest. Those are things that now represent Jesus and, and, and the quality control that God has really put in our hands to say, represent me well. Is that fair? Maybe it's not fair, but it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. And people were looking to destroy Daniel's life, and where they started was in his work ethic. 
to, de- to destroy his influence and his power. And people will try to do that with you as well. They will try to find loopholes to discredit you and what you've been telling them, what you've been sharing with them, how you've been talking with them. And they'll just try to find ways to do that. Listen, I'm telling you, I want to challenge you. You have a new standard. It's not your boss's, it's not your own. It's Jesus and making sure that you follow through and do what he asks you to do. Can you imagine Jesus having a following if they're always like, where's Jesus? Oh, I don't know. He's hanging out by the lake again. He doesn't want to see anybody. He's, he's kind of irritated, you know, and, and, uh, and, and he's just always selfish or dishonest. But then he's like, but I'm God's son. You should believe in me. Like, no, no, you're a jerk. I mean, I saw you last week. Listen, listen, if it'd be any different for Jesus, how can it be any different for any of us who say we follow him? I mean, really. I mean, we're not perfect, neither was he, but it's not it's God nor anybody else asking for perfection, but they're looking at our lives. They're looking at the way that, that we, we work and looking at the way we live our lives, and they're determining our faith based upon some of that. Number two, we have a new identity apart from our work. This is so important, and fortunately, don't really have time to get deep into it today, but when Jesus is our boss, he gives us a new identity, and that's apart from work. And this is so important. This whole context of Colossians 3 um, is in the household because that, that's where Paul said, let's start here. Instead of trying to change the government and the world, we can't do that until we're changed. And, and especially in America, our, our identities are often associated with what we do. I'm a professor, a mechanic, a student, a scientist, a doctor. And that's why some, some people felt just saying I'm a mom was not enough. And that's because our identity gets oftentimes wrapped into what we're accomplishing, what we're getting paid for, what, 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 what people give accolades for. But yet Jesus comes and says, no, whoa, 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 your identity is not in being a mom or in being a doctor. That's not where your identity comes from. Your identity comes from, from him. And Paul says if, if, if we're going to really see the world change, we have to first change ourselves. We have to change in our home. And we have to break some things. It's really interesting. You look at this list in Colossians, and it's actually l- written as a list, like a bulleted list. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And then husbands, they all kind of come, come right with each other. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And then four, one, which should be included, chapter 4, verse 1, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. So what is he doing is he's addressing all these interpersonal relationships within this, this, this Roman household, which had all to do with work and authority and power. And it's really interesting. He addresses wives, children, and slaves. You know, Aristotle, famous Greek philosopher, had written all kinds of things on household codes in those days and how the men were supposed to rule their wives, their children, their slaves, how, how this submission and line of authority would take place in homes and it influenced everything. And when people would say, how should a wife act or a children act? According to the rules of the home, according to the husband, which is so interesting. Paul is stabbing that right through the heart and saying, hey, wives, submit to your, submit to your husbands. Not according to the rules of the home, not according to who your husband is. What does he say? Submit to your husband according to the Lord. Children, obey your parents as is fitting to the Lord. What is he doing? He's flipping the entire culture upside down and saying, now we submit and we serve and we love based upon God and not upon some kind of order of society. But this is what's even more interesting is he speaks to wives, children, and slaves who Paul would say, you're now free in Christ. And he writes about that in Galatians. But what he's saying is, before you try to fight for your freedom and change society, he says, first fix it in your heart, because here's what's true. Your new identity apart from work tells you this. Your identity is not defined by who is above you. 
So if your first thing to do now that you follow Jesus is to break free of the authority of the people above you, Paul says you already got it all wrong. The fact that Jesus is your authority is the first thing for you to understand. Break the slave mentality before you think you need to break the slavery is basically what he's saying to the wives and to the children and to the, to the slaves in, in this situation, the servants. Before you even think, i got to get out of here, he says, break it in your mind now. You're not defined by who's over you. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter what we do in life, there's going to be people who are over us, isn't there? And we're going to dislike them. We might get attitudes. We may, we may be frustrated with them. And God is trying for us to break that understanding. Listen, Jesus has given us a new identity. We're not defined by who's over us. And our whole life wouldn't just change um, because they were gone. It's about being free from our own attitudes against authority and other people that we think are over us when, when God says, no, 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 nobody's over you now but Jesus. Yeah, in this world there's some people over you. Submit to them. Love them. Do what is right because you're really submitting to me, not to them. And so do what's right, but break that understanding. Break those labels, church. Break, break those things that, that get in your mind just because you don't think you're high up on the, the, the rung of the ladder or the status. You're not defined by who's above you. But, but consequently, Paul's statements towards women, children, and slaves were, were a little bit different for the culture because he was telling them to do something based upon God, but his statements were shocking to husbands, fathers, and masters who were told that they may beat their kids, that they may do whatever they want to their slaves, I mean their property, and they control their wives however they want. And then Paul comes and says, hey, guess what, husbands? Love your wives. And, and that's an unconditional love he's using there, basically saying, give up your life for your wife. Huh? That's not in the household codes. No, exactly. You don't live under those anymore. You live under Jesus. Hey, hey, fathers, guess what? In, in a culture that they were more than allowed to beat their kids for doing something wrong, he says, I don't want you to be harsh with them. In fact, he says, I want you to be gentle with your kids. What? I'm going to be gentle with my kids? Says who? Says Jesus, who now you're under. Even though you're over your son or your wife, you're under Jesus. And he says, this is how you live. Hey, masters, even though everybody in, in the culture says your, your servants, your slaves are just property, they're not humans, guess what? Your master is Jesus. And he says to supply and to offer them what they need. Radical statements. And what's he basically saying? The, the flip of the first point, your identity is not defined by who's over you, neither is your identity defined by who's below you. Jesus told that group of people after the mom asked, put my son's at the places of highest honor, Jesus said, not so among you. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your servant, your slave. Wow. Your identity is not based on who's over you, who's under you. Your identity has now been established in Jesus, and therefore you're free to go love and to serve others. You're free to not have to worry about who may be over you and what they're doing to you because Jesus has freed you. And the last point this morning is this. When Jesus is your boss, you have a new motivation for why you work. And we as Americans need this badly. We work ourselves to death at the, at the expense of our family, at the expense of our health, at the expense of everything to make money, to build a business, to do what we quote call success. The, the statement is probably really true. What's in it for me is kind of what governs a lot of our lives. And yet, once we find Jesus, that is supposed to change. Verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, so that um, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Your life, your business, your work is all to serve Him. And I want Mike Aiello, I don't see you, I don't know where you are. Oh, there you are, come on up. I want Mike to kind of wrap this up for us today as the final point, is this concept of 
there's a new motivation with our work and with our lives once we turn it over to Jesus. And God did this powerfully in his life through a book he read a few years ago, and he's turned his business over to, to God. And, and we're, I'm going to close with a, a cool announcement of what we're going to be able to do as a church in light of that. Go ahead. Um, thank you, Mark. Um, happy Mother's Day, and uh, I appreciate uh, all you mothers. My mom uh, has five boys, and um, God bless her. Uh, I know all of them, and they're really a holy terror. So she's a saint already, and she hasn't even made it to heaven yet. Um, this series that Mark has been doing has uh, been very um, challenging. Uh, I don't know if you're in a mini church or not, but what it challenges you and how it challenges you, uh, it's it's extended a lot of things and reminded me of a lot of places that I've been. And so, um, you know, I'll start off with uh, Jeremiah um, 29, 11, and 12, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and there's some more that goes with it. But it sort of made evidence right there that um, this isn't my life, uh, that God made plans for me. I don't make plans for myself. Um, and so it's really important for me to share with you today because um, I realized um, back in the early 90s going to this church, um, um, Carolyn Jenkins, uh, our former uh, pastor's uh, uh, wife, uh, Marty, uh, handed me a book. It was called uh, God Owns My Business. It was by a gentleman by the name of Stanley Tam. He started a company called U.S. Plastics, and he was kind of innovative in that in that he gave the company and signed it over to Jesus Christ, and it made Jesus Christ his CEO. It caused a lot of problems with the tax people, and uh, so, and there's a little problem with that, because I actually talked to the CEO and president of that company a few years ago, and it was a big deal, but, but they've got that all worked out. But just being inspired by that book to think that a, a man that was a traveling salesman could be have a company the size of U.S. Plastics, and he was decided to give it to the Lord was intriguing to me, but I really didn't think much of it and didn't think I could really do it or even that God was going to bless that, you know, because I was really working for myself. I sailed in the Merchant Marine for a number of years, and I was, you know, just all about making money for myself and my family and what that was supposed to look like and, you know, the live the American dream, as they say. But I, I realized... Uh, uh, I just decided to quit one day, and when I quit that job, I really didn't have another job to look for. That's not a smart move. And secondly, I just um, decided that it was time that I needed to start living my life for what Christ wanted me to do and not for myself. And I didn't know what that really looked like because I still like myself and I still want to treat myself well, but anyway, I, I moved on. Um, and I, in the summer of 2002, it, I'm a slow learner, okay, so I had to reread the book, and it took me a while to make up my mind. But in 2002, I decided that I was going to try this. And um, I reread the book, and I made a, started off on a journey to start a company. Um, it, it's been interesting uh, a lot of, some of you know me, and some of you uh, work with me, and you know I'm a mess sometimes, and I really screw up things and make things crazy, and 
all kinds of things, and I ask for forgiveness a lot, but God's really blessed me with the people that work with me, but also that you've given me the opportunity to be able to uh, uh, be able to use my business to do what God's business is, because now it doesn't really matter what business I'm in, it just matters about my heart and where it goes, and so in this way, I, I, I want to challenge people to think about what is your business, and, and what do you do with your business? You know, Mark's been really good about this. He's, he's talked about time and money, and uh, that, that's going to, the, the one about sex is really going to kind of mess me up with electric cords from now on the rest of my life. But anyway, um, you know, uh, God's currency, God's currency is love. In John, even in First John, in, in John chapter 1, he talks about God is love. And uh, I feel like I've learned that God's currency is love. It's all about him. And so um, when we start doing that, you know, you think about it. We talk about gold and money. And uh, you know what God makes streets out of? Gold. So we make streets out of stone because it's cheap, right? So what what is gold to God? And time, time, God lives in eternity, um, eternity. There's no time. That's absence of time, right? It just goes on forever. So that day in a thousand years when you're waiting for something to happen, God says, well, it could take a thousand years. Oh, that really makes you feel good, doesn't it? Because you want it to happen today. We're all about time now. So anyway, I, I just feel like the real currency that God has given me is love. And here on earth, the currency that we have, okay, time and money, should only be used to carry out his, which is love, his purpose, which is love. And so, you know, with all of that being said, you know, you get to this place and you have to make a decision and you have to decide, well, what am I going to do with my life or what is my life all about? And it doesn't matter if you start a business, it doesn't matter, you know, think about the people that went to York Springs that took their time and energy to go to York Springs to start a church. What about this new church that's going to, a new place that's going to be in New Oxford? What about those people that are volunteering to go to take their time and energy to love one another? I I think in every possible way, each one of us in here, businesses and people, uh, just every day can be about the business that God has for us, and that's about building your testimony about his grace for you and what it looks like to serve him. And so I really want to encourage you to do that. I, my favorite verse, my life verse is uh, Joshua 1.9, which haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged or dismayed, for I am the Lord your God and with you always. But this new life verse uh, I adopted this week was Acts 20, 24, and it says, um, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My, to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I really believe that I need to do that. I need to be a testimony. Even though it's flawed and there's places that I've really messed up, you know, uh, the, the thing that really, in the Revelations 12, it talks about how the enemy is defeated. It was defeated by the blood of Jesus and by the word of your testimony. 
And so even if it's a flawed testimony, it's still a testimony, especially if it's about Jesus Christ and what his grace and love has done for each one of us. So I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to, I want to, I want to kind of do this, uh, this last part as an interview. This is exciting. So, so is what, what, God, what God did in Mike, him being the CEO, think of how that changes your life, changes if you own a business or how you work, that it's not about, not about you, it's not about the business anymore, it's about how can this further what God is doing. And Mike's got involved in a ministry that is just incredible. And so September 9th this year, September 9th is a Saturday, going to be right here at the middle school. Can you, can you put that up for us there, Andrew? Um, we, they, he joined forces with PSI with Water Mission, and um, they help provide and create clean water around the world. If you didn't know this, uh, just having access to clean water is still one of the greatest issues that's facing us globally. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, 2.4 billion people live without adequate sanitation. 35% of the world's population. Go to the next one. That results in 842,000 deaths every year due to diarrhea caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation, and hand hygiene. 2,300 people a day because of diarrhea caused by a lack of clean water. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that we don't have to face that. And you think of all the people around here that don't, the numbers of that are globally. And so Mike, is, his company, PSI, builds and um, uh, maintains and, and fixes water, uh, uh, wastewater management treatment plants. I told him him and I have the same job. He deals with physical poop and I deal with spiritual poop. We just come together. And uh, September 9th, I know. I know. September 9th, um, they're going to do a huge event here at the middle school. It's a walk for water. It's to raise awareness to this very issue worldwide and to do what else? Uh, we're, we're walking for water. We're trying to raise this awareness and also we're trying to raise money. Uh, we're hoping for 4,000 people to be in the stadium and make the walk with us. I know it's a kind of a... a, a there's some people that work with me that are probably going, oh my God, what did he just say? But anyway, that's okay. They know me uh, and they, they have grace. So, <laughs> but we really want to try to make sure that people are aware of this problem. Uh, the organization that we are working with is Water Mission. Please look them up on the internet. They're, just type in Water Mission. They're an amazing uh, group of people and there's a huge story about that. But this is one of the organizations that has really decided that they want to stop this right. problem with water and people dying from unsafe water. And, and it's amazing. And so with they're raising money for that. Uh, there's places that you can support in uh, different areas of the world. They, the, we went to a village in uh, Chau, Mexico, and we supported this village to be able to have water, clean water for 2,000 people. So there's money that way that's raised. There's money for awareness. But mostly they do uh, planting these seeds of, of clean water and helping uh, all these villages around the world, Africa. Uh, they do mission relief as well, uh, disaster relief as well in Haiti, a lot of places that we go as a church anyway. So I just encourage you to get out. Uh, Julie Dingus is, Dingus is, um, is, our, is the project coordinator for this, and she, uh, she's going to be putting out sign-up sheets. We, we could use people to... Go on the walk with us. We could use people. If you're a business, we could use your money. <laughs> if you're a, anybody, we're going to be going to the schools to let kids know about water and how important it is and how precious it is around the world. And we want to educate people about that. So thank and, you. And the point is, this is what happens when, when 
you start saying, God, I, I want to I build your legacy and your kingdom, not just my own, not just my company. Although Mike would tell you, is he, he does more of this and gives the, you know, the, the profits of his business towards things like this. God keeps blessing him. And that, but that's, that's the whole idea is that God wants us to work for him, to be motivated by building his kingdom. Would you, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray over you just real quick as we go. But hey, listen, you're going to hear more about this. They, they want two, three, four thousand people here. I, I'm thinking we're going to need to provide 100, 150 volunteers. Yes come and bring money and bring business owners and other people you know to help make a difference here and this could be a huge huge thing even for our community for Gettysburg to to be a part of something that's really making a change globally but the point is this is what happens when we stop living for just ourselves or just trying to work for our own future but to work for something even greater than ourselves so Jesus thank you for this time this morning thank you for this reminder God thank you for all of our moms who work so tirelessly so selfishly and Lord, we want to honor them and respect them today, Lord, and we want to live up to that, uh, Lord. But even more than mom or a dad, God, you are the most amazing person in our life, so self-sacrificing, so loving, so giving of yourself and not caring about yourself but wanting other people to be touched. And so, God, as your followers, may we emulate that. May we look like you and be good examples of that in all that we do. We praise you. We thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.